If you're taking notes, you can title this message, Binary, Part 4, If God Wills. If God Wills. We are in the last segment of our series on commitment called Binary. And we've been learning how to be faithful in a world full of flakes. As everybody around us ceases to be faithful in keeping their commitments, making commitments... We as Christians want to be people that stand out. When we say we're going to be somewhere, we're going to be somewhere. And so we've learned the importance of commitment. As God is committed to us, we are to be committed to each other. Because that's how God communicates his love, his unending love and pursuit of us. Is the fact that he went all the way to the cross despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So we learned when to say yes. We say yes when God is calling us to say yes. And we learn to say no when things don't correspond to God's will. So we learned in the prior weeks that the world will base things on their feelings. But we as Christians are to consult God's will when making a decision. And if we know what God's calling us to do, we can joyfully say yes. Yes, I will do it. Yes, I will go. You're calling me, and I know that you've called me, and so I'm going to do it in boldness. And when he isn't calling us to do certain things, we can say, no, that's not what God has called me to do. And there's no problem saying that. In fact, it's freeing because you know all the different things that you're not called to do, and you can close the door willfully and joyfully. When your employer, when a person, whoever asks you to do certain things that you know would take you away from the things that God wants you to do, you can close the door to that. But that begs the question, doesn't it? How do you know God's will? How do you know what God wants you to do? And in fact, if you look at scriptures, we've been talking about binary, right? There's two choices, two options, yes and no. But maybe there's a third option. Maybe there is a maybe we can decide to use. But the maybe is only acceptable if it's contingent upon the will of God. In other words, yes, I will if God wills. No, I won't if God wills. That's the only permissible maybe that we as Christians are allowed to have. If we are allowing the Lord to speak to us, and we're thinking about it, we're praying over decisions, that we would want to allow the Lord to give us a clear direction onto where we are to go. And so James chapter 4 addresses this issue of people that kind of just make up decisions without consulting the will of God. Let's read it and we'll pray. It says, come now, in verse 13, James chapter 4, come now you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be submitted to your will this evening. To know, Lord, that we are walking in your ways. That we are doing what pleases you. And Lord, as we approach this delicate subject, we pray that you would help us to do it. 
by your power, by your grace, and by your will. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us need to make plans. We need to make commitments. It is a rational and safe thing to want to do something and plan ahead. Think about what would happen if you didn't plan for things. If we had this past summer retreat and we went away to Pennsylvania, but I didn't plan anything. And all of us got there. You're waiting for the schedule. You're waiting for the booklet. You're waiting for me to tell you what's next. And I said, oh, you know, I just figured we just kind of go and see what happens. You'd all look at me like I'm crazy, right? You paid a certain amount of money. You expect for me to put in a lot of planning and prayer so that we have a great week. Think about if you didn't plan out your wedding. You just kind of just show up and like, I just figure like, we'll figure it out as we go along. The whole vow thing, no need to practice. And has anyone ever been to an awkward wedding where it's just kind of like there's dead air. They forget to play the music or something or just like the bride doesn't show up. The groom doesn't show up. It's just weird. You would think that the most important, one of the most important days of your life that you would plan ahead. I had a friend who, when I was in high school, I remember he just said really funny things. We would write them down. I remember we were trying to figure out where to hang out. You ever do that? You're just with your friends. Where do you guys want to go? And he said, I don't know. Let's figure out when we get there. (laughs) Okay. I'll do the math on that one. Why do we plan? We plan precisely so that we can make the most of the time that we've been given. That's why we make plans. It's so that we are diligent with the time we are given and making sure that we make the most of it. But when we plan, there's a temptation, isn't there? There's a temptation to plan according to your own wisdom, your own knowledge, and not according to the will of God. How many of us, on a daily basis, we prayerfully stop and ask the Lord to direct us in each and every major life decision that we have? Well, in order to do that, I think most of us want to know the question first, right? Which is, well, how do I know if God's directing me to do something or that, or or something else? How do I know what the will of God is? I want to make a plan to go to a certain school, or take up an occupation, or marry somebody, or... You have all these different plans, and you want to know what God's will is. And how would you even know if he had given you an answer? Well, it's these important decisions that can cause us to become mystical almost. And not just mystical, but almost we're in a state of fear in our relationship with God, that we don't want to mess up and make a wrong decision. How many of us take a Bible and when we're asking God to reveal certain things to us, we just flip randomly in a page and just poke your finger into a random page and say, okay, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? Or maybe you're like looking, anyone have like a favorite number or you're like looking, it's like, oh, that number there, it's, there it is again. It must mean something. And so what happens is we start looking for coincidences for confirmation of what God's trying to say. I don't know where we got this from, but this is just the way it is, right? You look in the sky and like, Lord, do you want me to go to Turkey? And then like, you see turkeys everywhere. And you're like, oh, I think it's a sign. And then th- the clouds, it's just, it's forming into a turkey. Yes. Like on the news, there's like a war in Turkey. I must go. And you just make this major life decision because obviously this couldn't be sheer coincidence. That's our estimation by the number of things that happen And you say, what are the odds of all these things falling into place? It must be from God. Well, 
I would say most of these things are rooted in mysticism than in the Bible. In fact, if you look at ancient history, a lot of times when people would flip randomly into pages, into scrolls, you see other religions employing this very same tactic in order to discern what the gods are saying. But that's not a very biblical concept. God never says, hey, listen, I got a plan for you, and you got to find out, but I'm going to hide. And you have to seek me, and then I'll tell you the plan. Like, once you flip in the Bible enough times, or if you see a certain number, a certain amount of times, if you talk to people, I'll say the same thing. Then you'll know. But until then, you won't know, and you'll be in the dark. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. So, here's a good question. When we actually ask God to reveal his will, how would we expect him to go about answering? What do we actually expect him to do or to say? I remember uh, Pastor Andy Dean years ago. It was probably about five years ago now. A little more than that, actually, because I've been on staff for five and a half years. Every single year, he would ask me, will you please go on the Dominican Republic mission trip with a junior high group? Because I was a junior high leader. And every single year, I would say, no. Why? Because the Lord knew that I didn't want to be responsible for a bunch of middle schoolers in a foreign country. That was just ridiculous to me. Like most youth groups in the U.S., around the world, no one does mission trips for junior hires, and I would be responsible. That just, like, terrified me. So because of that, what I would tell them every single year is God would have to make it absolutely clear that I'm supposed to go on this mission trip because I want to go on my own strength. I don't want to strive, whatever. I would say that every year. And lo and behold, every single year, someone would drop out last minute, and there would be a free ticket. And so he would call me and say, Alan, I just like, there's a free ticket. I think this is your opportunity. Why don't you come with us to the Dominican Republic? And every year I would say, no. God has to make it very clear to me. It's like, here's a free ticket. The next year I remember, because this happened a couple years in a row, there was one year he asked, and he's just like, congratulations, you've won a free ticket to the Dominican Republic. And I'm like, no, I haven't. It has not happened. And I'm working tomorrow. See you later. I'll see you when you come back. And then it was in 2011 that he asked me, And I had been in kind of this mode where I was just kind of up for anything. But just because I've been in the habit of saying no, I told him no when he asked me. And I said, once again, God would have to make it absolutely clear to me. And then Andy's like, what do you want me to do? You want me to get on my knees? You want me to beg? You want God to like shoot lightning through the sky or something? And then it was in that moment I thought about it. I don't think I actually really prayed about it. I just decided that it couldn't be the will of God for me to be responsible for teenagers. That's just, you know, in my mind, that was in my heart, in my head. So how would we expect God to answer us? Because maybe he's giving us the opportunity each and every day, but because we've already decided on the way that he has to meet us, we reject when his voice is there. Many of you know the story in 1 Kings chapter 19, when Elijah runs away from Queen Jezebel, hides in the cave, and then God tries to meet him. And he doesn't meet him in the whirlwind or in the fire. He doesn't meet him in the earthquake, but in the still, small voice. And oftentimes, we're looking for some miraculous thing to happen, some sign when God is giving us his word, but we have to be willing to listen. Now, a lot of us can be afraid that we're going to miss that still, small voice. Because it's not that obvious. And I think a lot of this fear is based in that we're, we're afraid that we're going to miss out on God's best for us and be condemned to a life of mediocrity. Right? If I miss the still small voice, then I'm going to ruin my life. 
I will be destined to have a really boring existence. What would happen if you missed God's call? You missed the sign. You weren't paying attention when God was trying to speak to you. And you marry the wrong person. And for the rest of your life, you're condemned to suffer. Or just be really bored. What if you were supposed to go to a certain school... God made it absolutely clear. He was trying to tell you, like, you're supposed to go to Cairn University because there was a commercial. And not just a commercial, but people were talking about it. And, like, in your Campbell soup, the alphabet soup, it spelled out Cairn University. Surely, this must be a sign. But you said, no, I don't believe in superstitions. I'm going to ignore it. And then for the rest of your life, you would have wondered, well, why did I wind up going to Monmouth University? I am so bored here. I'm just kidding. I love Monmouth University. I went there. It's a really good school. But we're afraid of missing the center of God's will. And so, because we have this theory that God has his perfect will that we're supposed to find, and we have to be right in the smack dab center of it, we're often afraid that we're on the outlier of his will or outside it altogether. But I would say to you that this simply is not a biblical concept. In fact, I would say that the idea that we're supposed to be smack dab in the center of God's will and we have to know what that is before we make decisions is more based in our own insecurity rather than in what God calls us to do each and every day, which is to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, this desire to figure out God's perfect plan can come from good motivations. So I'm not saying that we're bad people for believing this. I believe this. You believe this. You might believe this right now. Because depending on what you choose, it would seem that the course of your life would be drastically different. If you just made one small different decision, imagine those of you that go to CCS. Like if you'd never gone to CCS, your life would probably be very different. Maybe you wouldn't be here right now. Maybe you wouldn't have the same friend groups. Likewise, those of you that are in public school, maybe you wouldn't have the same outreach. Maybe you wouldn't have the same opportunities. You just don't know. I know of a pastor who spoke once that he was talking to Chuck Smith, who started Calvary Chapel way back when. He was in his office. He was in California pastoring a church and felt like maybe God was calling him to start a church in kind of this remote state. I won't name the state because people get offended when I name states that I feel like, you know, are kind of boring. And so he felt like called to go to this boring state or does he stay in California where it's like hip and cool and whatever. And so he kind of just like was wrestling over this decision. What should I do? Where should I go? And Chuck Smith said this. He told him, people need Jesus everywhere. That's not not an answer. So he didn't really know what to do. And so he started the church. He decided to leave California, go to this other state. And that ministry is thriving. Thousands upon thousands of people have been saved and reached. And it's just crazy to think about, what if he had never gone? And maybe you have that same feeling too. What if you had never made the decisions that you're making and so you're afraid of making the wrong decision? But once again, I would say, where in the Bible does it say that you need to know his plans before you make plans? Where does it say that you have to know exactly what God has in the future before you decide to plan for the future? In fact, the Bible says in Psalm chapter 37 verse 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. So we are to trust, and trusting in the Lord means that we will take action. So here's the first point for this evening, if you're taking notes. It's this. Don't plan in fear, plan in faith. Don't plan in fear, plan in faith. 
So many of us will be sweating bullets that we're making the wrong decision. And because we feel like it's all in our control and it's all up to us that we would totally mess up our lives. That it'll keep us from actually making good, healthy decisions. So instead of that, we need to plan in faith. Because God has given us free will so that we are able to plan. This is why James also says in chapter 1 verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now wisdom is a virtue. It's less of, at least as it's understood in the Bible, it's less of something that you just know. It's more of a way that you orient your life. Wisdom is experience. Being able to know, not just intellectually, but by your heart, certain good decisions, certain bad decisions. And God gives us this kind of experience, and God gives us this kind of virtue, so that we're able to make good, free decisions. Because we have free will. Now, there's a professor at Knox Theological Seminary. His name is Bruce Walkey, And he made this really interesting observation. He says, a lot of us pin so much of the weight of our decisions upon ourselves because we have to make decisions that our ancestors never had to make. In other words, think about this. If you were born about a couple hundred years ago, you wouldn't have no choice who to marry because you had arranged marriages. So you wouldn't be sweating and and crying and, and like just wrestling with who should I marry, who should I date because your parents chose. Like, imagine what a relief that would be. Or just a terror. Probably more of a terror, but it could be a relief too for a lot of people. Like, yes. I didn't, like, there's no way I could have been with this person, but my parents chose and so we're stuck and that's it. Or, you'd be able to have a decision where it's just, it's outside of your control. Your parents have chosen it, not just for your, um, your marriage, but also for your occupation. A lot of people would inherit their business from their family. And so you were... Uh, a carpenter because your family had been carpenters for many, many decades, maybe hundreds of years even. And so that was passed on. So it's not like you had an opportunity to say, I'm going to go to school, be educated, and be what I want to be, and be who I discover myself to be, but you are who your parents are telling you to be. And so you take up that trade. And it's only recently that we have so much freedom, so many decisions, that it usually will cripple us from making any of those decisions for fear that we make the wrong one. Now, I'm not saying that it was better back then. I'm not saying that we should go back to arranged marriages. I'm just making an interesting observation that we're making more of an issue on this than previous generations because of the amount of freedom we have. It's kind of like, if, to use an analogy, imagine you are playing piano. Now, on, on the piano, you can be playing with other instruments, and as long as you're playing in the same scale, in the same key, you can play a variety of different notes. And there's not like it's, there's one right or wrong note, as long as you are playing one of the notes that everybody else is playing in the same key. Now, obviously, there are wrong notes if you play something that's out of the key, but within the key, you can play a, a range of different notes. In the same way, God gives us freedom, free choice, free will, to be able to make decisions based on the wisdom that he has instilled inside of our hearts. It is not biblical to wait for perfect conditions. To wait for everything to be perfect, to be settled, and just like, I just know that it's right, and I'm going to go and pursue this now. In fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4, it says this. 
He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. What does that mean? Well, I'll read it in the NLT because that might make it a little bit clearer. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Now, the writer of Ecclesiastes, what he's saying is, if we're always waiting for perfect conditions, if we're always waiting for the perfect circumstances, and the minute there's a cloud that comes by, you'll never plant. Because you're always afraid of, oh, what if I planned and it's going to be in vain? What if I do something and it's not going to work out? Instead, we should, despite the conditions, despite what it looks like, be willing to make decisions knowing that God gives us the ability to make those rational decisions. Now, here is the part that kind of wrecked me yesterday. Because as I was preparing this message, I looked at this, because I've taught on the will of God a couple different times. I've read a number of different books on this subject, and it kind of ruins this whole anti, you know, this uh, supernaturalism, mysticism, where people are just believing that there's some, like, one that you're supposed to marry. There's a perfect job out there that you're supposed to partake in, a perfect calling. And it just kind of, like, read these books that all kind of, like, destroy that to pieces. But here's the problem. I was looking over my notes on some of these things, and I was like, I don't know if I believe this anymore. <laughs> and this is why. If it's purely based on my own decision making, right? It's, it's purely left up to me. Like, I have the freedom to make all these choices. Do I really want to, in 20 years, look back at my life and say, every, every decision I've made has brought me to where I am now? Do I want to be able to look back at my life and be like, this makes sense why I am here doing what I'm doing because I made all these different choices and this is what led me to be here? Or do I want to live a life that in 20 years, I look back and I'm just like, how in the world did this happen? By the grace of God, how did I get here? I would have never dreamed I would have reached this many, these many people. I would have never dreamed that I would have this kind of influence. I would never dream that I would move to this state, be in this place, marry that person. Wouldn't you want a life where it's kind of just like, you look at it, you're like, this whole thing is ridiculous. It's like the psalmist says in, in uh, Proverbs, rather, chapter 20, verse 24. A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? Wouldn't you want your steps ordered by the Lord in such a, a way that you look back and you have no clue how you got to where you are now. It's not about how many elbows you rubbed, that you dreamed big enough, that you climbed the ladder, but really you understand that there's, on a human, purely human standpoint, you would have never been to where you are now if it were not for the grace of God. I was out to lunch with Lloyd on Wednesday, and he said this, and it kind of just like haunted me for a couple of days. He said this, if you can explain it, then it might not be of God. Now, obviously, that's not like an overarching statement. It's within its context. But if you can look at something, and we can purely explain that the reason why this church is this big, the reason why we reach this many people is because we have the right engineers, we have the right business people, we have the right ingenuity, we have the right resources, then maybe it was done purely by human means and not by the Lord. And so the second point I would say is don't plan for God, plan with God. Don't plan for God, plan with God. And this is exactly what I believe James is speaking to in chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. Now let's read it again, knowing what we know now. Let's read that passage. 
Come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. In other words, what he's saying is, you have your plans. That's great. But you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You might have like a five-year plan, a ten-year plan. You might have a week plan. But you don't know if tomorrow the Lord's going to call you home, if he's going to return. How do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? And there is a philosopher, atheist philosopher, but philosopher nonetheless. His name was David Hume. He asked this question. Um, he, he asked this. How do you know that the sun's going to rise tomorrow? Think about it. How do you actually know the sun will rise tomorrow? Is there any guarantee that it will rise tomorrow? And most people say what? Well, it's always risen in the past. Of course it's going to rise tomorrow. So you have no guarantee the sun's going to rise tomorrow. It's just purely because it always has that it'll be the same tomorrow. That's kind of just employing some sort of faith, isn't it? That because it has been in the past, it will be tomorrow. Well, here's the thing. We don't know if the sun's going to rise tomorrow. Maybe it just comes back. Maybe the whole thing changes. But one thing we can hold on to is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And since only he knows the future... We need to make sure that we're planning with God and not making up plans for God for him to subscribe to. Our plans will always be imperfect because they're condition dependent. Imagine you are planning the perfect date for that special somebody. And you're like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. We're going to go to Wendy's because that's all I can afford. But we're going to get free Frosties because I still save those coupons from Halloween last year. And so we're going to go, and it's going to be a dandy time because I asked Ronald McDonald himself, whoever the guy is from Wendy's, to come down. And then I'm going to propose. And it's going to be awesome. Well, that's all depending on a number of different things. That your car doesn't break down, or if you can't drive, if your parents' car doesn't break down, like, hopefully, I don't know, like, don't raise your hand. But, like, I always thought it was... Nah, I'm not even going Never mind. I would just always feel weird if, like, my parents took me on a date with somebody. Like, maybe that happens. And maybe you're, like, really tight with your parents and you have no problem doing that. I just always thought that would be weird, no? So, like, maybe you're really comfortable. And that's great. But, like, your parents driving you and you and your girlfriend or you and your boyfriend. It's just kind of like... I don't know. Anyway... So your parents driving you to the date location, what if their car breaks down? What if they can't make it? What if a person flays? What if a frosting machine doesn't work? Like there are so many conditions that have to fall into place for you to make any of these plans. But none of us are thinking like that, right? Now some of us that are warriors like myself, we worry about every little thing. So you are thinking about the frosting machine. You're like, what if it doesn't work? And then you're like a complete pessimist going into this relationship. You're on the date the whole time you're swearing like, this is going to, I just... I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Like that, There's a cop car. He's going to pull me over right now, isn't he? Like, here's my currency. Is this, forfeit? Is this counterfeit? I don't know. It's just, you have so many questions, and you don't know if it's going to work out. But, since God knows the future, it would make sense to plan with him. No? I would say a fool plans without God, because only God knows what will happen tomorrow. This is why Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. 
So it is perfectly fine to plan. I'm not saying, like I made in the first point, don't make your plans based in fear. Plan on in faith. Make sure that you are making plans. But as you plan, make sure you're not planning for God. You're planning with God. And you're saying, Lord, this is what I have laid out for the evening. And if you want to veto it, you want to change it up, you want to do something different, I am okay with that. And you want to know how, how to tell if you're, if you're not okay with that? When your plans go wrong, how do you react? It's just like the worst day ever. I was planning on having a great day, but then like my cat barfed on the floor and just like my parents yelled at me because I still didn't make the bed and oh, just the day is terrible. What do you do when your plans fail? Because that shows you who you're trusting in. So as Christians, we can leave God completely out of the planning because we do things for him and not do things with him. So perfect example, we have a college plan, don't we? I know exactly where I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get straight A's. I'm going to major in this, and then I'm going to get a job. And then once I get a job, I'm going to get in this career. Then I'm going to rub some elbows. I'm going to make sure that I get to where I want to be. All for God's glory, of course, right? It's all done in the name of God. I'm going to be a famous musician. I'm going to be a soccer player. I'm going to do all these things for God, and God will be blessed, and he's going to be okay with that. It could be serving in ministry even. That you have a good idea, a good plan, but it's not of the Lord. We plan to go to Hungary this summer, and obviously that did not happen. And we have to be okay saying that if God wills, or if God does not will, we will submit to whatever he decides. I love when Jesus was talking to the disciples about his death. You remember that story in Matthew chapter 16, when he's talking to the disciples about how he's going to die, he's going to resurrect, don't worry, it's all going to be good. And then Peter pulled him aside, side conversation, and says this, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. So the Bible actually says that Peter, taking him aside in the side conversation, began to rebuke Jesus. Terrible idea, first of all. He says, like, oh, Jesus, I know you have this plan. I know that you want to do this thing, like dying on the cross and be resurrected and stuff, but like, this is, this is not, you don't have to do this. Far be it from you, Lord. And what did Jesus say? Get, me, get behind me, Satan. You are offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Key sentence right there. He says, you're not thinking about the things of God. You are thinking about yourself. And I know that you're like, oh, death sounds terrible, and this, this whole thing, like down on the cross, that sounds bad. But actually, if I don't die on the cross, none of you go to heaven. Like, that's a big deal, Peter. So, like, all of us can be thankful that Jesus decided to, like, not listen to Peter. Imagine that's how the story ends. Like, oh, and Jesus, why did Jesus listen? He didn't go to the cross because Peter had a side conversation with Jesus. And, and Jesus is like, you know what? I don't want to disappoint Peter, so I'm going to disappoint the entire human race by not going to the cross. So, to me, this is where I would say, it seems that God does have a specific will for each person's life. Why do I say that? It's because, can you imagine that you, every decision is left up to you? That God doesn't have a call in your life. It's kind of just like, yeah, you just feel free to do whatever you want to do. And eventually you'll be that. It's like, it's, it, it completely eliminates any thought of God is calling me to be a missionary in Uganda or whatever. Because maybe he is, and maybe like, you can decide to be a missionary in Uganda. And I just, I don't know about that. Look at Acts, why don't you take your Bibles and open up to Acts chapter 16, because I don't want to keep talking about how I feel. 
Acts chapter 16. Look at verse 6. Here's a perfect example of some of the things that I'm talking about. I'm going to give you some biblical examples so we know that I'm not just making this up. Okay, this is talking about Paul, and it says in verse 6 of Acts chapter 16, Now when they had gone through uh, Phrygia and the region of uh, Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So there you go. First of all, God closes the door, forbids them to do certain things, and it was a good thing, preaching the word. But he says not to do that. Verse 7, after they had come to uh, Mysia, they had tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Once again, the Spirit prohibited them from doing a good thing. Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul is like trying to make things happen, and as he does, the Spirit is forbidding him. How that happens, I'm not really sure. The Bible is silent. We have to be silent. But it's clear to us that the Holy Spirit himself was keeping him from doing certain things. And then after he's just completely like, just has no idea what to do, he goes to this last place, trust, and he has this vision. And it's a guy from Macedonia who's pleading with him to go over to Macedonia and help them. Now look at verse 10. Really interesting. It says, Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So notice, he made a conclusion after he had had the vision. And I think most of us, we look at the Bible and we think, like, Paul must have just known. Like, God spoke to him so audibly, so so uh, unmistakably, that he just knew he was supposed to do certain things. But it says here that after he had had the vision, and after he had tried a number of different things, and he had hit closed doors, that he had concluded that God was calling them to go to Macedonia. Really, really interesting. So I believe God does have a very specific will for each and every one of us to follow through with. Look at other examples in the Bible. You have Isaac and Rebekah in Genesis chapter 24. You don't have to turn there. But... Isaac was supposed to have a very specific person marry him, and it was Rebecca. And he had a servant go and search for this one person. After the angel had gone before him, he prayed about it. And here is a woman by the water. And then he's like, I think this is the one. Lord, would you confirm it? He confirmed it and brought her back, and they got married. Really strange story you can read on your own time. Jonah, when he was supposed to go to Nineveh, God had a very specific call on his life. Go to Nineveh and preach repentance to them. Esther. Remember, when she didn't want to go to the king and she was afraid, her cousin Mordecai says, listen, if you don't do this, salvation for the Jews will come from somewhere else. But who knows if you were, placed in, you were put in this place for such a time as this. Now, we can rationalize that God could have used someone else than Esther. But really? Could he have used someone else besides Esther? I guess so, theoretically. But God was calling Esther. And he had called Jonah, and called Isaac, and called Paul. And I have to imagine that God has a very specific call and will for you. He doesn't have favorites. He doesn't pick and choose. Like, I have a very specific call for Jonah, Esther, Isaac, Macedonian man, all these different people. And for you, like, eh, you get the leftovers. I think he has a very specific call, and that's why we need to pray for guidance. So what does this mean? Now that I've contradicted myself. Well, if you're paying attention, I didn't actually contradict myself. What I was doing is I was 
striking the two extremes. There's the extreme of making everything mystical, that you're always looking for a sign for the confirmation of what God wants you to do. And then there's the other extreme that you just aren't mystical at all. You're not open to any sign. You're not open to God's redirecting because you don't believe God has a specific call and specific will. I believe that God is sovereign. In other words, he plans things out. He has specific calling, specific will. Good works for you to walk in them. He, he, you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. He knows the thoughts and the plans he has for you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil for a future and a hope. He knows all, of the, all those things for you. But you still have free will and you have the ability to walk in those things. So the key is that we don't aim to know God's will before we make a decision. That is the key. And that's what I've been trying to communicate this whole time thus far. Here's the third point. Aim to know God's heart, not the future. Aim to know God's heart, not the future. Usually, when we get really mystical, it's because we want to know what God has in store for us in the future before we act and make any plans. Because we're afraid of messing up. But what the Bible calls us to do is to plan, make those plans, and just say, Lord, I'm submitting to whatever you want me to do. Here's my game plan, and if you want to redirect me, that's fine. And so some people don't want to plan until they know exactly what God has in mind in the future. But I would say that oftentimes God calls people like Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11. It notes that Abraham was called out to go to the land where he was going, and he didn't even know where he was going when God called him. So, in one sentence, it's basically this. We are to seek to know God's heart and plan accordingly, and then surrender the final destination to him. Aim to know God's heart, not the future. Why his heart? Well, when you know his heart, you know what pleases him, so generally you can walk in a way that pleases him, and pursues him, and as you pursue him, he will reveal things to you on what the next step is. Now, it's not always going to be a special revelation. It's not always going to be a coincidence. It's not always going to be those things. Sometimes it may be, I'm not denying the existence of those things. But more importantly, we are to be concentrating on, am I a type of person that God can use at any moment? Check this verse out, Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and God delights in his way. So if you are a person who is pursuing virtue, you're making yourself a person that God can use, then God will order your steps in a way that pleases him. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul says, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. And then you submit all the specifics to God. That's it. That's all we have to worry about, is not ask the question of, what does God want me to do in 20 years, 25 years, 30 years? Ask yourself, am I pleasing God where I am right now? Am I living my life aiming to please the Lord? And there's two ways you can do that. I'm going to give you two ways that you can know God's heart. Number one, be in the Word of God. Be in the Word of God. That professor I named before, Bruce Walkie, he says this, great quote. To the many Christians who spend time trying to divine the will of God, I ask, how much time have you spent reading the Bible? To know what pleases God and what his desires are, you must know his heart. And to know his heart, you must draw close to him. 
Reading his personal message to his people is the best way to know him. Those serious about their walk with God will spend time listening to his message. So, God's specific will for your life will never go against his revealed will for your life. And through the entire Bible, he has 66 books of revealed will. Of what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to act as people of God, how we are to be set apart. And so God will never tell you, you know, I know it says in the Bible that you're not supposed to be unequally yoked. But this time for you, you can be an exception. Because the greater good that can come out of you being in an unequally yoked relationship will just be so awesome, it'll just blow everybody's minds. You don't want to be in that camp because you'll be listening to the wrong voice after all. Second way is be in fellowship with wise believers. Be in fellowship with wise believers. Proverbs 12 verse 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs 15.22 also says this, Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. By surrounding yourself with wise people, older people, people that are godly, mature in the Lord, you are safeguarding yourself from doing really dumb things. So it just helps. Like, just as you would for everyday decisions on things on a minute, minute scale or even a large scale, you would consult other people for things that you should do. Like you're going shopping, you ask people like, what do you think? Should I buy this? Should I not buy this? You want other people's opinions. Now when it comes to really important decisions, it makes sense that you ask really wise people and surround yourself with those kinds of people. Rather than saying, you know, I was thinking about like selling all that I have and moving to Cambodia. I don't know what I'm going to do there, but I just have a feeling deep down in the pit of my stomach that this is what I'm supposed to do. Well, what is your parents, what do your parents think? Why don't you ask them first? Now, that's not to say that God might speak something specific that might go against what some people think is rational, but you better have really good reasons for it and not be self-deceived because that's a dangerous place to be in. Also, we have to be careful not to assume that perfect Perfect conditions equal God's permission. A lot of times we look to those coincidences and we say, oh, you know what? It seems like everything's right. I have the right amount of money and that mission trip has an open door. That means that God is providing. I'm going to do it. In fact, in the Bible, if you look at it, when David was running away from Saul, remember, Saul hated David at, at a certain point, wanted to kill him because David was supposed to be king. Remember that Saul was sleeping in a cave and David had the perfect conditions to kill Saul. He could have perfectly rationalized that this is an opportunity God has given me and now I can rightfully take the throne that is mine by killing Saul. But it was not God's will that he would do that. So be very careful that you're not interpreting things the way that you desire them to be. And the way you figure that out is by asking good, awesome, wise, godly people. So... In conclusion, all the things that we learned tonight. Number one, don't plan in fear, plan in faith. Number two, we learned that we're not supposed to plan for God, we're supposed to plan with God. And finally, aim to know God's heart and not the future. So I would just say this as kind of like a conclusion. Um, Focus on not what you're supposed to 
do in 50 years, 5 years, 10 years. All those decisions you will have to make at some point. But be more concerned about, am I a person that God is using? Okay, those, those questions are fun to think about. It's fun to think about, like, where, where will I be in five years? What will God do in my life? But you can guarantee that God won't use you by being complacent today. You can completely guarantee that none of those things will ever happen if you're not rooted in the word of God, in a relationship with God, in the people of God. You're not in fellowship with one another. You can guarantee that God's not going to use you. If you start drinking, if you start going to parties where you shouldn't be, at, if you start smoking things that you shouldn't smoke, if you start participating in activities you shouldn't participate in. But usually what happens is people will do those things. Why? Because they don't believe that God has a future plan for them. It is dangerous and it's from the devil. Did God really say, Satan said to Eve, And we'll question, did God really promise something to me? Does he really have a calling on my life? And you compare yourself with everybody else. You look around the room, you say, like, I must be the the least talented individual. We have a lot of talented people. We have a lot of gifted people here. You compare yourself with those people and say, well, if all those people are gifted and I don't even know, like, anything that I'm good at, maybe God doesn't want to use me. And when you start thinking like that, then you start to compromise. Then you start turning to temporary pleasures because to you, temporary pleasures is better than no pleasure at all. But if we believe the good nature of God, that he loves you, that he died on the cross for you, that we believe that God doesn't have a future just reserved in heaven, but that future can begin today if you just walk in his ways. You want to please him with your life. You make it your aim to know his heart. And then here's the cool thing. You can be content, not tomorrow, but content today. That you've decided, you know what? Even if, even if the things that I dream about, the things that I I think wouldn't be so awesome if God did this in my life. Even if that doesn't happen, you know what? I'm okay with that. Because I just want to be pleasing to the Lord. Isn't that a great place? Because here's the thing. If you're content with where you are today, you'll be blown away where God brings you tomorrow, won't you? And then you can say in 20 years, I would have never thought, never imagined. As high as the heavens are from the earth, that's how high God's ways are above our ways. And his thoughts than our thoughts. Do you know that he loves you? That he does have good thoughts towards you? That he does have a future plan for you? Don't doubt it. Believe in it and trust the Lord, and he will never let you down. Let's pray.